passage today leads me to, um, to talk about an item in our houses. I wonder if you can guess what it is. It's an object that has power to provide opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Um, it uh, enables us to uh, show them his love. It's an object that allows us to include and disciple and pray. Uh, you probably use it every day. Likely needs regular wipe downs, um, perhaps some more than others. And it is most likely made of wood and screws. It is, of course, our table. Our dining table, our kitchen table, maybe even the coffee table, if you eat meals um, around that. And the, the passage today, we see a group of people based around a table. And I've, I've called this message, Radically Ordinary Hospitality. It's a phrase that's um, stolen from a lady called Rosaria Butterfield, very inspirational in these things. And I'm just going to jump straight in. So this is Matthew chapter 9. I'm reading from verse 9, and the words will come up on the screen. Here we go. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, as Esme said, we are in a series in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew are all about Jesus demonstrating his kingdom. You get three sets of three miracles, each punctuated with some teaching after each triplet. We've just had the second triplet of miracles, and they tell us of a Jesus who calms storms, who quiets the troubled. And who we can conclude knows your situation. And when we talk about hospitality, that's really important to note, actually, that Jesus knows your life. He knows what's possible. He knows what's a step too far for you right now. And my hope today, as we talk about radically ordinary hospitality, is that all of us will leave encouraged, will leave full of the grace of God, and at the very least, rejoicing that before we talk about inviting anyone else in, Firstly, we are welcome at his table. So we see in the story that we just read here, the guy called Matthew, he's the author of this gospel. This is his story, his story of, of coming to know Jesus. He's, he's pretty humble, isn't it? He just kind of said, oh, there's a guy called Matthew, and Jesus said, follow me, and he got up and followed him. He could have made much more of a deal uh, of it. But we actually see in his story a continuation of what Ben was talking about two weeks ago when he talked about the cost of following Jesus from chapter 8, that though totally worth it, everything that we have becomes his now. And that's what Ben was saying a few moments ago, wasn't it? Everything that we have, everything that we are now belongs to Jesus. Our, our time, our, our money that we've just been celebrating, hasn't that been such a helpful thing in this offering of recognizing that as we give, we're really giving back to God what is already his. Our talents and even our homes belong to Jesus. Not ultimately to us, not to uh, our landlords or to the local council or to the mortgage lender, but to Jesus submitted to his mission. And I don't know about you, but isn't that a very, very countercultural way to think? Our, our world around us says, yeah, the home, that's, that's the private place, isn't it? 
An Englishman's house is his castle. The home is the place where you can escape from the world. You can kind of get away and be in secret if you need to. The Bible says everything we have is his. And I suppose we, we have little trouble believing that God has provided our homes uh, for us, whether that be the rent money, the purchase price, whatever. But it can be harder to recognize, can't it? That, that means that they're, they're his now. They're, they belong to him. And as, as well as a place of rest and of uh, functioning and, and nurturing, then, then also they're, they're a resource to be used for his mission. But the hope and the power is in the fact that as well as all we have, including our homes being his, all that is in Jesus now becomes ours to draw on, and hence we find Matthew. This is how he's able to do it. He gets saved, and instantly he's able to open up his life and his home to Jesus and his mission. And what we find is Jesus round a table with tax collectors and sinners, as Matthew describes them, who are literally eating with God. And it's actually the screenshot that summarizes the entire film. It's the front cover poster picture, if you like, because it's actually what the whole Bible story is all about. Just just have a look at this. The very first command of the Bible in Genesis 1 includes God telling his people how to eat with God in his home the garden temple. They work work the grounds so that they can be fed, and then there's a warning not to eat from the the tree of knowledge for their own good. And that then gets compromised, doesn't it? In Genesis 3, as Adam and Eve choose to eat apart from God's, and so the ground becomes harder to work and thus to eat from, and humanity is then prevented from eating with God in his home as they're put out of Eden. And so then you get the covenants with people like Noah and Abraham and, and, and Moses, and they, they promise a restored relationship and eating with God once again. And they're all signed and sealed by meat cooking on a constructed campfire, an altar, culminating in God supernaturally providing food and water for his delivered, exodus people. The memory, of course, which is to be celebrated is a meal. And then the leaders get invited up the mountain, again, a home of God, to ratify the deal. And Exodus 24 says they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. And the promise is of a land, again, a home of God's, flowing with milk and honey, which is shorthand for the best that animals can produce and the best that land can produce. And then God gives his people a whole sacrificial system, a route to being with God in his temple home. And once again, it involves food, meat and spices, cakes and bread. It includes provision of food for the poor and for the priests so that no one is to miss out. Everyone is to meet and eat with God. And inside God's tabernacle home is a table, an invitation of access on which are placed bread and wine. He gives them celebrations and commemorations Feasts and festivals, all a reminder that God wants to be with his people. And how do they perform them? By eating and drinking and in so doing, being with God. They feast because of joy and they fast because of sorrow. His word tastes sweet like honey and his spirit quenches like water. Even his provision comes in a table prepared in the presence of enemies. And then, of course, along comes Jesus the bread of life, 
eating and drinking with sinners, beginning his ministry by turning water into wine at a wedding breakfast. He tells parables about banquets and feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. Then he does it again with 4,000. He removes all divisions, meaning everyone is invited, and he takes away the formality as his disciples snack on the Sabbath. And then they prepare the Passover, where once again, God eats at a table with his people, with bread and with wine. And Jesus promises not to eat and drink with them again until he does so anew in his Father's kingdom, where all of his followers are invited to a great feast, a marriage supper of God and his people. And as heaven and earth meet, once again, God is found eating with his people in his home. You see, hospitality is a live demonstration of the gospel, isn't it? Of invitation, of inclusion, and of unity. And it's both a means and an end for Jesus, wasn't it? It was, um, he, he, he taught people, but he also simply welcomed them. And what we find is that supernatural things, you know, prophetic demonstrations, messianic revelations, life-changing pronouncements, they happened around the tables that he sat at, all a foretaste of that greater table to come. And it's what we see here in Matthew's house. Jesus identifying himself with others, welcoming them, loving them. It's what we see every time we eat with other people, a demonstration of the gospel, an invitation to the table, a sign of unity and of togetherness. I was hearing just this week of um, uh, a couple who just recently joined the church. They were invited around to someone's house. They said, oh, wow, we haven't been in anyone else's house for years. I'll tell you what, that invitation is a demonstration of the gospel. I heard this week of uh, or recently, if someone who's in tears of joy is their home group leader asked for their very complex dietary requirement list so that they could cook for them, so that they could host them. That is a demonstration of the gospel. I recently um, had a, a group of people over from India. They'd never been um, in a UK home before. They're studying here. We did, um, we did burgers and life stories together. Um, I got to know them and their background. They got to hear about Jesus. I totally forgot that some people in India don't eat beef. So we had to do some last minute menu adjustments with that. But hey, a demonstration of the gospel. The thing is, don't we all need constant reminders of the gospel? Don't we all need reminders that we are forever welcome, that we don't need to justify ourselves any longer before God because Jesus has done it for us? Don't we all need reminders that no matter what we've done, we have access to his throne? Don't we all need reminders that it is finished, it is done, he's completed work? Because our action comes from our belief, doesn't it? And the trouble is we forget and we slip back into our, our legalistic and self-justifying ways. Hospitality is a reminder that God's people are always welcome, are always invited to his table, are part of a family, as are you today. And so the next thing then is that we see in Matthew's home this diverse bunch of people who, they were just there. 
I mean, it's, it's a real mix. It's, um, just have a think about it. You've got tax collectors who are actively working for the Romans. And then you've got Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' disciples, who wanted to fight them. So you've got someone who's totally convinced that one thing is right, someone who's totally convinced the other way and wants to fight them. Sounds like my kids at the dinner table, right, if I'm honest? But, um, but then um, you have, you have um, Matthew himself, who just, just left being a tax collector. He's just left that community. Imagine going back to them and saying, guys, I've found something that is of infinite worth, someone who is worth following. I'm going to have to leave all of this, all of you guys behind, and go and follow him. And now he's invited them into his home. Then you've got what Matthew calls just sinners, like people that would have been looked down upon in society. Then you've got the 12 disciples, varied as they were. And then, of course, you've got Jesus the only one whose soul didn't need a doctor. And because of him, people were just there. And so we've got to ask, like, how does that happen? How, how do you get people to just be there? Like, there are so many challenges and barriers to welcoming people around our tables, aren't there? So I just want to talk kind of practically for a moment as to how can these things be overcome as the grace of God allows and that is really, really important to remember, isn't it? Because there are times in life, there are circumstances, there are seasons in our lives where actually it is just really, really difficult to do it. And whatever we do, it must be sustainable. This is only as God gives us the grace to do these things. We can see this wonderful vision and get excited by what it is. But actually, Jesus just wants us to know we do not need to do a thing to make him love us anymore. He's already delighted in us. So how can we do it sustainably? I think the key that Matthew knew and why Jesus used hospitality is this. Successful hospitality is not about impressing your guests. Success is simply eating and being together. Because gospel things happen around a dinner table. All, all the aim is, is to get together and to eat, and God does the rest. Now, I've had, I invited people over before. I cooked chicken legs for them. It was ahead of us going to home group. The chicken legs were not ready in time. We didn't actually end up eating. That was not successful hospitality as we all went out to home group, slightly grumpier for it. Success is just eating and being together. It doesn't have to be complex because God does the rest as we are around the table. And so actually, you just want to kind of get into some of the nitty-gritty um, practicalities and I'm going to ask Em to come and um, help me uh, to do this, to share a bit of, a bit of sh uh, story here. Um, because at, at the moment, we're kind of on the journey. We're no experts, but we're just kind of learning some things as we go. And it, there have been seasons in my life where I've learned from all sorts of different people in different seasons of life. I lived with a single guy called Phil. He taught me so much about hospitality, pretty simple in what he cooked. It was pretty much the same thing each time. He was a wonderful, hospitable man. I used to work for the local council in Clifton, and um, every lunchtime, I went to see someone in the church called Dick there. He'd bring me some food every time. Didn't ask for it. He just always brought it out. I learned so much um, from him in that time. When I was a student, I started going around to different people's houses. And, um, and Mike over on, on the visuals, he was one of the first people that had me around. I'm in someone else's house eating a meal. This is so exciting. Uh, Paul and Hazel, I don't know if you guys are uh, here, here this morning, but uh, 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 a couple, I think, in their 60s who um, are just wonderful, wonderful hosts, used to have us around as students, um, not particularly like loads in common in terms of stage of life, but would just ask questions about who we were, what we were doing. It was wonderful to learn from. But anyway, there's a few people I've learned from. Why don't you share a bit of your, your story, Em? Yeah, so I'm 
one. Um, yeah, so for me, I grew up in a home that was just very usual to have other people um, around a lot of the time. My parents just were very, very good at that. My mum particularly, I just, I really appreciated that as a teenager. You know, I could just bring friends, turn up, she'd be like, great, here's some food. Like, she just wouldn't phase her having another person or a few people to cook for. And just like, that really pointed to God, like um, some of my friends at at school did become Christians and, and my parents kind of became their Christian parents and they just always felt welcome in our home. So I guess that was kind of what I grew up with and just really appreciated and loved just, yeah, the way that points to Jesus. Um, and then as a student, I lived in quite a big house. Um, so there were seven of us and we all cooked together. And so I just kind of got used to cooking for lots of people. And I was like, oh, you know, what's one more? Like you're already cooking for seven. Um, so yeah, just really enjoyed having people in. Um, it's trickier sort of in some of my sort of young adult years, I lodged for a little bit. So um, yeah, it can be trickier in those seasons looking out for times when the house is empty. I can maybe have some people over then. And I think since we've got married, it, we've just found it like a really great way to, to team it together and to get to know people in church together and serve people together. Um, I guess especially having kids, there's lots of ways that we're serving differently, but kind of having people in our home feels like something we can really do as a team and actually we really enjoy. Um, yeah. So in, in terms of some of the kind of the, the practicalities, and um, maybe we can talk into some of those at the moment, what, one of the big things that I find is that um, I'm a massive introvert. So generally kind of uh, people interaction, I love it, but I find it really draining. I'm also really rubbish in the evenings. And so what this means practically is that kind of when people come over uh, to our house, maybe the kids are around and do a bedtime story with them or something like that, um, I am like full of beans. So it kind of gets to like 7.30, 8 o'clock, I'm there, I'm kind of in the conversation, gets towards 9 and I start to sort of slow down and my people tank starts to empty and by quarter past nine I'm literally yawning in people's faces and so it was true Dan wasn't it Dan and Joe were over this week yeah nodding his head I yawn plenty of times that that's just where I've got to and one of the things that I've learned is actually I that could be a barrier that could totally stop us doing it oh, I feel bad and kind of come half nine we have to ask, ask people to kind of move on from there or whatever or we can just say that's who we are. Come and, have, uh, um, come and kind of take us as you find us. And actually, we had a, a really lovely time on Monday night in spite of all the yawning. So um, there we go. What would be some of the barriers that you've kind of... Yeah, I think something I've had to work through is the kind of feeling of like everything needing to be lovely and clean in the house. Um, and obviously, we all want to have a nice, clean, tidy house. But with kids, it's not always realistic. And I take for that to stop us having people in or feel like too house proud to be like you know, oh, sorry, there's mess on the floor or, and obviously, we, you know, if we've got five minutes before people come, we'll do a quick hoover round, but we'd never want that to stop us from having people in. And my mum was always great at that. She'd always say, you know, just take us as you find us, just come in. Like it does, it's not putting on a show. It's just sharing life together. And the reality of life is that there's toys are on the floor and, you know, things aren't always immaculately clean and, and that's okay. Like that's just doing life together. And I suppose for some of us, the, the challenge will be, um, You've not seen my, uh, not seen kids at the dinner table like mine are, who are throwing things at each other, shouting at each other, and whatever. And I, I think one of the things we we've just learned is um, th that actually, for for people who that's not there every day, um, that that can be a, a unique and sometimes quite fun thing. And um, just that I think we went into it thinking, oh, actually having having children is going to be a big barrier to hospitality, not least because life feels pretty hectic and whatever. But the thing that I've realised is I, I I genuinely think that actually our, our kids are one of the best things about coming round to, to our house, the interaction that people can have. Sometimes that's not there every day and it's it's a bit different for them. And yes, it's crazy and, and yes, it's it's full on. Um, and yes, 
yes, they uh, make Dan Reed's very funny and silly stories and um, all, all of those kind of things, but actually that it's a joy. And if, uh, I suppose a realization, if we're family together, that means we share everything, doesn't it? Even our uh, crazy, chaotic kids, if that's the situation uh, for you, we kind of share and, and live together. But what about the things, yeah. unless you can say something else? Yeah, just on the back of that, like, I know I really appreciated it, like, before we had kids or as a student, like, going to people's houses with kids and just learning from them and seeing family life and being included in family life, actually, that was a really precious thing. And so we have to kind of remind ourselves of that now. Like, oh, actually, I really did appreciate that myself kind of before we had kids. Um, and also, yeah, there's been times, I remember a time when we had... Um, Zachary's a very small baby, Lizzie was a toddler. I think it was an after church, sort of people coming over for lunch. And it was Martin and Kathy Cheeseman coming over, and JP was coming back late from the second morning service. So I was there by myself with the kids, trying to sort lunch. Zachary needed to go to sleep. Lizzie wanted to play with. Martin and Kathy kind of came into this. I'm like, it's fine. Martin was like, right, here's a push chair. I'm going to get Zach off to sleep. Kathy got dragged off into the playroom to play with Lizzie. I've been sorting the lunch, but. I was like, this is it's doing family life together. And I just was so blessed by them myself in that as well. Um, mm. Yeah. Because none of us can pretend that we're something we're not, right? Like, it's take us as, as we find us. And what about in terms of the food we eat? Like, I cook occasionally, don't I? You tend to do um, most of the cooking. Do we need to cook, like, particularly complex things? Yeah, no, I think it, it is just keeping it simple and not feeling like, you, again, like you don't have to put on a show of, like, the most delicious food ever. And, you know, sometimes we're just... Like on a Friday night, we have a family film and pizza and we can just say to people, hey, come and join us. It's going to be frozen pizzas in the oven. This is what we're eating. Come and join us in that. We'll often just keep some ice creams in the freezer that we can whip out for pudding without needing to have produced some amazing pudding. Um, and yeah, just meant like what we would eat as a family is what we just like to invite people to have with us as well. And just to finish off, I know there's something you wanted to say, wasn't there, Ron? Where, where times are it's just less easy to do these things, you know, illness full-on stage of life, house shares, etc. What are some of the things that you've wanted to convey in that? Yeah, there will be times where it's trickier and it's just looking for the opportunities of what you can do and sometimes it's just too full. And I know we've been really blessed in times when maybe it has been harder for the kids or it's harder to get a babysitter and, and go out to other people as well. And we've got some wonderful friends who... Um, don't have kids themselves, and so they've sort of said, we'd love to have you over, but we realise it's a bit tricky for you at the moment. Can we bring food to you? And that took a bit of a, like, oh, I'd, like, can I say yes to that? <laughs> so it takes a bit of humility to be like, oh, yeah, actually, that would be amazing. And so although they were in our home, like, they really, you know, hosted us, cooked for us, brought the food over, and that that's a way, you know, if maybe having people in your own house isn't practical at the moment, or if you want to have some people over who maybe can't get a babysitter or, or whatever, that could be another way that you can... Um, eat food together with others in the church family. There we go. So I hope that's helped with just being some of the practicalities. Let's give a hand for Emma. She's put that in there. It's just so important we get into the nitty-gritty, isn't it, of kind of the sort of on-the-ground reality of these great theological truths. This is a demonstration of the gospel every time we're together. But um, there's something else that, that happens, and I wonder if you notice in the story that when, when people are together around a table, um, it says, verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your tax collector, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I find Jesus' response absolutely fascinating because he's just been asked this, you know, why, like, why are you doing this? Like, what, why eat, with the, eat and be together with these people? Um, why hospitality, essentially, is the question. And what does Jesus do? He explains the gospel. He says, when he, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He explains to them that he came for the very ones who felt that they could not do it. 
He came for the very ones who knew that they could not do it. He came for the very ones who were in the midst of the chaos and the mess spiritually and knew that they were trapped and couldn't kind of get on to these things. And he said, look, guys, you need to stop all your religiosities. Quoting from Hosea chapter 6 at this point. He said, there's, there's mercy to be found. And, and, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And what we learn from his response is that when we host people, hospitality isn't just a demonstration of the gospel. It actively furthers the gospel. They say to Jesus, why hospitality? Jesus says, because of the gospel. And I can think of lots of people that we've met before in our community where we can invite them for a meal or an event we're hosting or whatever, and it's just open up all sorts of discussion about Jesus or engagement with church or um, you know, they're like, what, you, so you work for church? Like, are you a vicar? Or like, why do you do that? And, you know, that kind of thing. Or... Um, an example of um, John and Laura Crosby, um, who live in, in the meadows and really um, look to reach out to their community. There's a wonderful grace gift upon them. Um, and it's point we celebrate that rather than feeling like we should all be like that. But um, Laura said to me something recently, which I think is fascinating. She said, everyone wants community. No one wants to organize it. And she was meaning in terms of engagement with kind of those that don't know Jesus. And hey, I think that is absolute gold for us reaching into the fabric of our society, that there is a hunger for community, but people just too busy or not know how to like get people together. And yet, don't we do that like every single week in our home groups and events that we run here? And they have a, a model, John and Laura, where in their home group, and again, just recognize this is the gift of God um, upon them, that um, they just invite a load of people in from their community, from their area um, in the meadows. And um, they have a, have a meal around a table, and they just get the Bible out, they read a story, and then they start to talk about this, this story from the Bible. And um, of course, that is a community inspired by the Holy Spirit. Hospitality furthers the gospel. And uh, not just in evangelism, as we've seen, but um, in discipleship too. Um, I, I've learned so much about Jesus by just being around a table with people and just asking them what they're uh, reading or kind of learning uh, uh, about Jesus. I've learned things about marriage by being in the homes of married people. I've learned things about parenting by uh, being in homes of parents and seeing how they react when their kids misbehave. I've learned things about engaging with young adults by just being around young adults. It furthers it in terms of community. You know, that, that feeling where you've You've kind of sat down with someone that maybe you've not known so well and you've, you've shared some food together. And you're like, I just really like them. Like, aren't they really great? And what's going on there? You've shared table fellowship together. When groups of people are served from the same pot, it unites them. It's a kind of together experience, isn't it? It creates memories. But just, just to come into land, we, we all must start from where we are at, mustn't we? We're doing this together um, as a church family. We have different giftings in this. And um, we've, we can all think of uh, stories that are totally unattainable. And um, actually, that can be a bit off-putting as much as um, examples can be very inspirational um, in times where, as we've said, like sometimes illness, shared houses, full-on lives. I'm sure you could um, fill, in, fill in others too. And so I want to propose, I think there's three ways that we could respond to this message this morning. And the first one is this. Fresh grace, fresh grace. And this is just to have the sense this morning, reminder, remembering that we are invited to his table. And there is literally nothing that we could do that would make our father love us any more than he does right now. He is delighted in you. 
He wants to use you. He is using you. In fact, many of the reasons why hospitality is difficult is often because God is using you in other areas. You know, maybe um, children in a chaotic stage, or maybe the job that you do requires quite a, a lot of hours. Hey, God is using you to build his kingdom. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. God does not love you any less because you don't feel able to get to where you want to in terms of hospitality. The grace of God is upon us. We can rejoice and we can just ask, Lord, would you allow us to grow into the next stage? And so maybe then there's the second thing, which is a fresh realization that is that there is power when groups of people are together around a table, whether that is in our own home that we've invited in, simply when we're in other people's homes, when we're together as home groups, or even just when we go out for meals together, something happens, something supernatural happens around the dinner table. And it's not just a demonstration of the gospel. It's a furtherance of the gospel. Maybe the realization is more in the practical light. It can just be take us as you find us. Jesus does not call us to be anything that we are not. In fact, he calls us to be more truly who we are, the beloved sons and daughters of God, trying to love and serve our communities because we love Jesus. But perhaps a third thing is this. Perhaps some of what we're talking about inspires some fresh action, some radically ordinary hospitality. Maybe if this is a, a, a thing that you feel in a, in a place of life to be, as I said, Easter is a month away. Maybe we could all be thinking this morning, hey, I wonder if I could invite just one person round to our house between now and Easter. Doesn't have to be complex. Doesn't have to be a dinner party. In fact, I was chatting yesterday just to Emma's mom, who I think is a wonderful, hospitable woman. And she said, you know, I think dinner parties are the worst. Like all that stuff. And yet she invites people around all the time. Keep it simple. Maybe, maybe that could be a, a challenge for us this morning. But actually, maybe it could be something as simple as, I know, after this meeting, uh, Jade here, just give everyone a wave, Jade. Jade is leading a lunch trip out to some maybe as yet undecided pub, yeah, <laughs> to go and have lunch together. And I guarantee around that table, gospel things will happen. And you are, I love being able to say this, you are invited. We are all invited to go and to be together because we're the people of God. Hasn't COVID just given us so many challenges to our relationships together? You know, in addition to all the stuff of life. And hospitality has a huge role to play in meeting it. I want to encourage us, hey, let's be radical. Let's be ordinary. And let's be hospitable together. Should we stand together? Jesus, we come to you and we just thank you for your grace upon our lives, that there is nothing we can do to make you love us anymore. There is nothing we can do to make you love us any less. We thank you for this incredible privilege of being used by you in many different contexts, whether that's in the home, inviting people around the table, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's parenting, whether it's just continuing to walk the walk, which seems like a battle because of illness or trial or challenge. We thank you and we receive your grace again today. And Lord, we know that any steps forward in hospitality, as excited as we are about it, it only comes as you give us the grace to do it. So we ask for that grace this morning upon us, Lord Jesus, that you would keep us excited about the gospel things that happen around a dinner table, that you'd save us from the temptation of trying to 
just impress our guests or trying to host lavish dinner parties. And Lord, just that we would be people that open up our lives and our homes and family life is, and, and uh, everything about us, Lord, for your glory, for your name's sake. I just want to pray this morning, Lord, for anyone that feels the temptation to feel discouraged because they would love to do more hospitality, but they're not in the place um, to do that right now. I pray, would you meet them where they're at right now? And would you just say over their lives, it's okay. It's okay, I've got you. And Lord Jesus, would you keep this this kind of vision of what hospitality can be for us as a church, that we can get better in doing this as a church because we wanna follow you, we wanna know you more, we wanna see our city reach, Lord Jesus, people that we love so dearly in this place. Help us do it in your name, amen, amen. Well, we're gonna enjoy things too.